Hello and welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet for me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. How's That's it going? Weird. Yeah, it is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like that Spider-Man yeah. pointing at Spider-Man. Man. Yeah, no, I was just, I was just joking with my kids, like, hey, I need to go, go meet with my, with me, and they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, that joke only makes sense to me, uh, but yeah. With by Brandon. me, I mean him. Wait, right? What? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I'm gonna go hang out with my friend Brandon. That's my name. So, funny dad joke, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, well, uh, you asked me how I'm doing. I am doing pretty groovy. I found a new stretch along my favorite park here in Salem that go that they just reopened right along the Willamette, and it is sublime hmm. approaching sunset. So I got to go on a walk there yesterday, and it was like god juice. It was so good. Yeah. That's... God juice. All right. Yeah. I, I don't completely regret that phrase, but <laughs> we'll keep it in. Um, how about you? Yeah, I mean, God juice, I guess, makes me think of our church community and our family went camping this weekend and uh, took a nap in the hammock and got up and immediately thought of the fact that I learned that oxytocin is stimulated from the smell of the humus, that which is the, like, actual word for like the forest floor soil mixed with all the debris and stuff Mm -hmm. in a forest like that smell stimulates oxytocin which for those that don't know is like the cuddle hormone the bonding hormone in humans yeah it was really nice experience although that's that means that our family was camping two weekends in a row oh and then so our seven-year-old asked us super tired like are we gonna go camping again soon? And we're like, yeah. And like, she's like, why? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because she doesn't love it, because she totally loves it. But it was just like two exhausting weekends in a row. Yeah. And Can I just yeah. like introvert with my switch indoors for just one Saturday, please, Dad? Yep. So, yeah. yeah. Luckily, our next one is a month away, so I think she'll have some recovery time. But- well, the question we ask at this point every time is, uh, are you having a, a, a grown-up beverage right now? Yeah, got my uh, standard Manhattan here. Fantastic. Yeah. You got a cherry I'm, in there. You. Oh, not this week. I got a, no I really liked last year I made my own batch of brandied cherries and um, I want to get, I want to make another batch. So That sounds awesome. Yeah, I am having a margarita. It's summer, and oh, that that's what I feel too. like having. Yeah. Awesome. I actually considered that, but don't have any limes, so it didn't work out. So we are talking this week about Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to read the translation, you know what to do. Hit pause, switch over to the show notes in your podcast player, click on that link, and give it a listen, or read, I suppose. So go ahead and give it a read, uh, and we'll be here. Welcome back. So, you know, this chapter, 
it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the final stretch of this massive chunk of teachings from Christ. Uh, and it has some features to it that lend itself to being more easy to memorize, uh, more easy to remember how to preach it, how to speak it. There's what some scholars call an orality to this, where there's these contrasting pairs of things. And I can imagine there being some difficulty in like, we, I think we spoke last week, right. About, um, there, there being this, like, what was the passage heaven and earth? Um, Oh, it was, was it the Lord's prayer or that was in there? Um, is it what and you it bind was, in? It, it was the treasures, the treasures in heaven, treasures in earth, uh, where I didn't translate in a way that was very well paired. That was a clear, like, uh, complementary parts. Mm-hmm. And, and that miss that was missing that orality that you're talking about that sense of like, this is easy to memorize. This is easy to like see the parallels as I'm speaking kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it- so there's like orality in several different, di- well, at least two directions here. One is the challenge of, you know, these are things that are read aloud together. These mm-hmm. are texts that were that were not meant in their original production to be read by an individual privately. That's fine to do that. That's a good thing to do. But they were read, sure. they were prepared in a community with the intent of, uh, and a, a reading aloud. In fact, it was so common back then that um, it was a. It wasn't until I think a century or two after this that anybody figured out how to read without reading it out loud. Like they could right. read a document yeah. in their head, and that was like a mind screw for everybody else. Like, what kind of crazy That's- ass of voodoo are you doing here? That's interesting. I had not known that, it, which is still reflected in some words for like lectura in Spanish means reading, which sounds a lot like lecture in English. Oh, yeah. Um, that's reflecting that thing that like that reading originally was done out loud in a communal setting. Yeah. Yeah. And that also makes me think of like, I didn't know that, by the way, like that that's like when that when essentially reading in your head was invented uh, was just a couple of centuries after this. Like, like um, this, I think it was the second but, century. Uh, yeah. Um, but what does come to mind is uh, in first Samuel, when Hannah was praying and I don't remember the way it's worded, but essentially is praying in her head, praying in her heart. Like, like Samuel walks up and can see her mouth moving, but isn't, she's not making any sound. She's not speaking out loud. And he asks oh, her essentially yeah, like, are yeah. you drunk? Like what's going on? They're not used to the idea of praying internally either. Prayer was out loud always. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's just it's interesting to to note how cu- culture changes over time. Yeah, and so these documents were prepared in a way. I mean, one, you know, it's it's claiming here to be basically what Christ said. Um, but it was also, 
you know, fine tuned in a way that's, you know, for this thing to be read out loud. Um, And then looking forward, the orality of it is the way in which, you know, it is continued to be read, you know, well after humans figured out how to like read with their mouth shut. Um, Weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that was like a novel development in human ability. It's kind of interesting to think that everything we do at one point was the first time that it was done. Yeah. Yeah. And that one is like, wait, yeah. what really? It took, mm-hmm. we had developed language like how many thousands of years prior and uh, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, or I guess even like gonna... having our individual copies of it too. Like you mentioned a few minutes earlier, like reading it as an individual mm-hmm. that was impossible until the printing press. Um, yeah. And even then, and like, until even the printing press technology advanced, it wasn't like most people had their own copy. Yeah. Um, and then, so this would have been like people, the, the early church having a copy of Matthew would have been yes. one copy for the entire church. Maybe not even every, every church would have had a copy. And it wouldn't be in the vernacular of that culture. Um, by the time the printing press arrived, right. It was in ecclesial Latin. Um, right. Yeah, makes me think of Julian of Norwich, one of my favorite medieval mystics. That's the first religious writings that we have in English because it was illegal at the time to write religious material in English. Really? Yeah. Man, that is a dumb law. Because uh-huh. yeah, it all had to be, it all had to be in in Latin, and English was a new enough language that it was seen as less than. Uh, even than other European languages at the time. I mean, yeah. I, sorry, I should take that back. It's not a dumb law because I, it's a dumb law. Brandon. The intent. Well, I mean, like the intent of it is everybody, everybody, the um, the religious professionals, whatever culture, whatever their primary language was, mm-hmm. they they were immediately able to read Julian's thoughts if it were in Latin. They were like, there was no need to yeah across the continent. Yep. Yeah. Like there's a, um, there's a, 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 Hmm. um, a a belonging of esoterica (laughs) among the magisterium and the, um, the local priests. We just do that now by using big words. Exactly. Well, I mean, there's still a whole, I mean, we come out of evangelicalism where this is foreign to us, but there's this whole world of like people have to learn friggin' theological German. Yeah, I started studying German actually. Um, Did you really? In preparation. What? Yeah, when I was in my master's uh, program in seminary, because I was planning to continue on for a PhD in theology, and that was one of the entrance requirements, was being uh, more or less fluent in both German and French, so I could read the theological writings that are only published in those languages. Mein Gott. I, I did not end up pursuing that, but how much of this was in your head as you were doing this translation? It feels particularly evident here where some of these merisms mm-hmm. and things like that show up. I mean, I guess maybe the oral tradition piece of it, not as much is my goal has been more to make it accessible to current readers and our current readers don't need it to be oral. They need it to be worded in a way that doesn't come with all this extra baggage or, or using terms that is only used in a religious setting 
for those who don't come from religious setting. So that's not the primary thing that I've been paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important to note because American culture is so grounded in very black and white thinking and very like good, bad, moralizing uh, anything that's problematic in any way is bad. If you are connected with it in any way, you're a bad person. And if you're a bad person, I can completely dismiss you and completely dismiss your value or your validity in contributing, contributing anything which creates some tension here because that's not the same culture that this is being written in. There's a lot more room for gray in the kind of language and tradition that this is used to. Mm -hmm. Um, So the clear, like this, as opposed to this that's being used isn't to cater to the black and white. Okay. We need to know what's good so we can be good and what's bad. So we can like avoid the hell out of that. Um, as intended yeah and but that ends up being what happens so i think the word paneros originally being translated evil was probably more or less accurate because evil meant something a little different it meant like bad things happening hardships you know like um oppressive events natural disasters like evil befell you um yeah yeah and but now in 2021 we see the word evil and we just think wicked we think someone with malicious intent who is bent on hurting other people and that's it yeah you know it's so easy to take a word like evil or some of these contrasting things these binaries there are binaries all throughout this Mm-hmm. And the early church certainly like sees on that. It's a good pedagogical device mm-hmm. to have yeah. a it's really easy to make something like clear, like this is what I mean because here's what I don't mean. Like, like that's that's an important way mm-hmm. to teach. There's a path, there's a way that leads to life and a way that leads to death. You know, mm-hmm. teaches like what is that like the opening line of the didache? These binaries. Like what I hear you saying is some of the words used in them don't mean what they mean to us now. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, evil may have been a faithful word to translate centuries ago. Yeah. When it made it into it the really King James well in 1611. Been. Yeah. Over 400 yeah. years ago now. Yeah. 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 The authorized version was authorized for then. Um, not now. And these words have changed over for millennia centuries oh thank you the it was a strong uh margarita uh (laughs) yeah all that to say all these binaries are really helpful for the oral tradition that preceded the canon that preceded the writing down of matthew between jesus and uh, saying it and this that was really helpful, a way to remember it from one person to the next and have some basic fidelity to between what Jesus said and what Matthew says Jesus said. Really great. Also really great for Matthew, writing something down that his listeners 
can remember. But it's not so good in American culture or any other culture that is obsessed with black and white thinking and moralizing and value judgments. I would, and I would add to that also cultures that have gone through a particularly imperial captivity to Christianity. So if Christianity has yeah. gone through a stretch where the people reading the Bible had a sword in their hands, so to speak, or were which is holding which is anybody hands. introduced to Christianity after 313 AD, but yeah, and it got more and more complicated over the next couple of centuries. And yeah, so whether the church is in some level of partnership with the state, or to be honest, is part like immediately a binary, what it does, it latches onto any other malign binary that is already residing in me. So if I have some internalized patriarchy, mm -hmm. internalized fear of foreigners, fear of rule breakers, fear of people who do things that are different from what I was expecting, uh, if I have an internalized oh, power Brandon, you're describing dynamic, yourself like the Pharisees. What, what are you doing? Indeed. A binary is going to has that fundamental risk of being put under the control of a preceding binary that's within me. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's under the control of the sin that can animate me instead of the, that's a little uh, Augustinian of me, but you take my meaning. Um, it becomes captive. Yeah. And so, yeah, we've got these risks. It's a lot of what was discussed. We, we didn't discuss it, but what Jesus discusses in chapter six in Matthew mm -hmm. and then like lives out in chapters eight and nine, which we're not there yet. But like, I think that's what happens over and over in Matthew is he teaches and then he like demonstrates like models. Mm -hmm. like, and it's that constant. I'm going to like shake things up by refusing to confirm the binaries that that the culture is operating under. Yes. There's like an exhale, there's a speaking, and then an inhale of us receiving. There's a, a word and then a word made flesh. That's the pattern, particularly in this, um, the gospel according to Matthew. So this has been a pretty meta conversation. Yeah, let's um, get into the text itself. Yeah, yeah. Let's, um, let's dive on in. So I'll just be honest. Verse six makes no bleeping sense to me. That's not your translation. That's just generally. And I see that you really mm -hmm. struggled with uh, not just that, not necessarily how to translate this, but um, how to present it on the page or the screen. Like which paragraph does this go into? Walk us through. Yeah. Well, part of, part of it was the, translation but like you said even more than that was like how do i organize this as i'm creating a translation i have to like put things in paragraphs and stuff like yeah but know where to put my period at the end of a sentence like that's part of the translation process too not just what word do i use mm -hmm. 
And interestingly, some other traditional translations make first six part of the same paragraph is one through five. And some set it as a, a single verse paragraph by itself. Hmm. Um, and there's, and there's, it's split. There's not a, there's not a consensus on that. Are you um, saying it's split between the first paragraph and the second paragraph and being, no, and being its, its own paragraph or. I don't think anybody lumps it in with chapter with verse seven. Um mm-hmm. But it's something I considered because I'm trying not to just automatically assume that previous translations are the way I want to go, right? Yeah. But yeah. But as far as other translations that are that are out there, the two options are having it be a paragraph that's one through six and including it there, or one through five, and then new paragraph, verse six by itself, and then another new paragraph, verse seven and and on. How'd you decide this? I basically was trying to figure out what does this mean? Like that would help me really know where, it's where to put it. Right. Like, like in order to know where this goes in the flow of thought, like I need yeah. to like sort of understand what it's saying. And it's weird. Like it doesn't, isn't how we talk and it doesn't obviously like use words or language that connects with anything around it. It doesn't flow. Um, yeah, it, it's weird. Um, kind of unsettlingly so. But honestly, that's part of translation too. There is no translator on the planet. There are no translations on the planet that don't utilize the translator's interpretation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I recently learned that the ESV, the English Standard Version, was explicitly created to gender the language because they didn't like the trend of a lot of new translations coming out being gender-neutral language. Um, so they explicitly wanted to create a translation that made sure that we knew that men were men and women were women and that any other language that was supposedly somewhere in the middle was about men so wow uh that settles it so i just recently replaced the esv that i purchased when i was in a seminary that would have heartily approved of that bullshit Mm -hmm. yeah i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna throw that thing away um because that is revolting like the fact that they actively chose no women aren't included yep really nasty yep men are in charge men are more important women stay in your place Ugh. That, that's that's the message of the english standard version well maybe i'll recycle it you think they i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah tear this off is the a, leather this is an act, yeah. or this is whatever a, it's it is leather in. yeah this is it's an active question what's the most theologically responsible way to dispose of a bible um burning I, I, no not burning burning <laughs> i mean i guess if if it's if it's promoting values that fit with the valley of hinnom maybe burning there it is yeah yeah i'm gonna uh, cast it into the uh it's gonna be consigned to the fate of the baby sacrifice hinnom valley yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah because they are sacrificing women mm-hmm. and that women so- and anyone that's too feminine yeah yeah, basically non-masculinist. In their view, yeah. Yeah, 
So what'd you decide to do with this past? Like some, yeah, there are those who put it in interpretation process. Yeah. Your, your, your interpretation um, isn't just about yeah. individual words. I, honestly, I, I sat with it. Like, yeah, this is one of those where like, what is happening? So I, I looked at the context. I looked at one through five. I looked at all of the sermon on the Mount. I looked at all the way back to chapter one, like, what's going on mm-hmm. particularly the, the immediate context like what's going on here so this is about not judging um not being hypocritical not pretending that you're better somehow when you're when you actually like have your own stuff going on and it kind of then hit me it's like Oh, this is not, they're not insulting. Like we used to talk about t- calling people dogs and pigs. And those are like immediately like, whoa, he's throwing down the gauntlet. Like this, this is, he's insulting them. Right. And I don't think so. This is parable level. This is like just making analogies with things that people understand. So don't give the dogs what's designated God and don't toss your pearls to pigs. Like, don't offer things where they don't belong. Don't offer your yeah. judgments where they don't belong. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the pigs will just trample them like pebbles and the dogs will turn around and tear you apart. I think what it's saying is if you are moralizing, if you're judging and your motives aren't to benefit the person that you're talking to, but they're to make you seem better in some way. Mm -hmm. People know that you're not genuine. They can tell. So they're either going to trample them like pebbles in my view, meaning just like disregard them entirely. Like they're going to ignore you or they're going to know that you are a phony piece of crap who's judging them and trying to make you look good by telling them how they're awful Mm -hmm. and they're going to respond with hostility because you deserve it or not deserve, but there's a, it's a, I mean, you've kind of earned it. Like if I'm just like Brandon, like dude, that, uh, that shirt that you're wearing, like, I don't know why you thought you were what you thought you were doing, but I don't recommend it. Really, you should be <laughs> doing, you know, like, like, yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of deserve it if you tell me to shut up, shut the F up, like, mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. mind my own business. You mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. I know that like, I don't like the deserve language either. And like, at a little like more, more cosmic level, like I wouldn't use it at all, but it kind of like is the natural consequence of offering my opinion where it's not g- genuinely be, being given to be helpful, you mm-hmm. know, where it's being given to make me seem better. Um, yeah, either people are going to ignore it or they're going to respond with hostility. And that's appropriate for them to do because my giving is inappropriate. I think that's what this verse is saying. Hmm. And yeah. with sitting it with it and kind of coming to that understanding of it, I decided, okay, I think this should go with verses one through five. I feel a little less confused about what this stretch means. Thank you. 
Yeah. It doesn't have to feel super clear for you. Cause honestly, I, I keep forgetting what I decided here, what it meant. And I have to think about it for a little bit each time I come back to it. Because again, like the wording is like really foreign. It's not how I would teach that concept. And it's, it, yeah. And it just doesn't quite to, to my ears, 2000 years later, it doesn't immediately flow. Like, so there's, there's another, you're generally sitting in this position of this hunch that the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you have it in the footnote, is a clear progress, not clear, but <laughs> there is a progression of sustained argument and thought mm-hmm. that Christ is presenting to people. And there's another way of reading it that unfortunately translations have headers inserted all all of them yeah yeah basically all of them do this and they're like a word about hypocrisy a word about judgment a word so what it makes it feel like is here's a bunch of random shit jesus said that we've stitched together into a sermon that's really just him firing off random sagely bits of advice, Hmm. which, you know, that's fine. That's a form of literature. It just, there's enough. There's yeah. Yeah. That's not a typical thing. I've even heard it explicitly taught that this, the sermon amount is like a collection of sermons from Jesus throughout his work Mm. like like it's actually like pulling together different messages from different times and just kind of lumping them in one place so that they'd be in one literary spot i mean Um, i'm fine i'm fine with that provided that and i you also say he he tried to harmonize it a little yeah and i think there's a different question of is that what historically happened as far as when jesus said these things Mm -hmm. and is that what the author slash editor of Matthew was doing when they put them together. I don't mm-hmm. think so. I think there is a clear progression. You didn't say you, you hemmed it clear and I'm going to say clear. I think there's a clear progression. This mm-hmm. is one thought that's developing from point A to point L or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's trying to get at, kind of a core central idea and there's more than one thing discussed but there's kind of a i think it's thematic that it runs with one general theme that each of the specific pieces of content are are reinforcing yeah yeah so i i like that you're at least taking a stand on insisting that this is part of that i think making it a separate paragraph would have said "Eh, here's just a random thought So let's see, looking forward, let's jump down to verse 11. Yeah, what are you seeing there? Yeah, uh, let's see. If you being destitute still understand to give beneficial things to your children, then how much more will your divine provider give beneficial things to whomever requests it? Tell me about the word destitutes like that's a very economic word and i'm used to i think the word is the word yeah. evil more typical if you Typically, being it's translated evil, as evil yeah as you 
if you being shitty still understand like <laughs> yeah but as you as you know different. are a terrible person uh yeah, don't you agree if you yeah if yeah if you yeah. dumb bastard this this is a a shared understanding that we have like right you're a yeah. terrible person I, i'm jesus so i can say these things even if i just said don't judge but this right. <laughs> yeah this, it's a weird placement if that's what it actually means uh yeah so destitute it comes back to that paneros, the Greek word that is traditionally just translated evil over and over again. But if even if like looking it up in a lexicon, like a Greek, Greek English dictionary, um, it evil's not really the word. What it means, like it's kind of tucked away in there. But it, the basic meaning of it is um, involved with like oppression, involved mm-hmm. with hardship, involved with kind of being in rough shape um so unhealthy even diseased would be an appropriate translation depending on the context Hmm. Mm -hmm. and i don't think it has anything to do with being malicious of intent and bad behavior that could be involved i supposed if you're involved in like oppressing and causing hardship but like it really has to do with that at its core i think it has to do with the idea of harm Mm. Um, being harmed or causing harm and you have to use the context to kind of figure mm-hmm. that out yeah well this translation like destitute contrasts it with the divine like the divine who has all things who can give all things if you being destitute still understand to give something good if you're able to like you're you are broke mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet you still understand you want to give something decent. Like how much more the, the, the person that has all is of mm-hmm. course, of course going to do this. Yeah. That, I mean, there's a dignifying energy there towards the economically uh, excluded the destitute yeah i mean most of jesus audience was like peasants like was the people who had almost nothing just enough just enough to get by mm-hmm. or less not a, maybe not really enough to get by but his audience was not particularly a bunch of upper middle class dominant folks sure sure yeah and also his the kind of moral narrative of what he's talking about is not one where the truest thing you can say about people is that they're evil. You who have a sin nature and were consigned to damnation by God from before all eternity. Yeah. Frankly, I don't think anybody, even Paul actually talks about a sin nature. Nope. I agree. (laughs) Definitely not Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, there's no reason, there's no need. Like that sort of binary works for like imperial intent. Jesus is not generally known for his any imperial intent. Yeah. So there's a yeah, good if you're reason trying to read to be that skeptical. here. Yeah. Like there's an issue because like I said, in chapters eight and nine, mm-hmm. Jesus is modeling the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount and the teaching of chapters five to seven. And he's very explicitly going counter 
to those assumptions, the assumption of like, this person is good. This person is evil. This person is in, this person is out. This person has a sin nature. This person is part of the saved people of God. Those are explicitly the things that are being challenged over and over and over in chapters eight and nine by what he does. Mm. Boy, reading it as literature, crazy changes. it. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Like it has a context that like shows what, it, what he's talking about. So verse 23, footnote G, explores this translation decision that you made. Uh, you landed on, your efforts have nothing to do with the Torah. And then in the footnote, mm-hmm. you say, very literally, it's something like, you people who are laboring for the no law. Yeah. Yeah, can you walk us through And then I add, which of course is nonsense in English. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because it is. Um, I'm trying to real quick here reference what is the traditional rendering of that. Yes. Both of those, the very literal and mine are both different than like kind of what's normal there. Um, oh, yeah. In the New English translation, it says uh, go away from me you lawbreakers i think other ones use lawless ones um something like that yeah and i think anytime in other translations you see the word law it's not talking about like the legal code like the government's rules in place that are in the legal code right like it's um, it's also it's, it's also not talking about God's perfect moral mm-hmm. standard across all time, places, and circumstances right. that we have all ruptured and therefore been worthy of right. eternal blah, blah, right. blah. That's God's not, rules like, that should always be followed. Um, yeah, that's that's not it. Like these are people speaking out of a particular place here. Yeah, and it's tricky Jews. though because yeah. the Greek word does mean law, and then so you get people talking about the law of Moses, and I and I get it because that's what the Greek word means. But I think you have to again. I want to like lean as far away from anti-Semitism as possible, right? So like, what does the Hebrew, what does the Jewish understanding of Torah actually mean? And law is not the best way to translate Torah. English word law. Yeah. uh, Instruction, teachings, um, something like that, where Mm -hmm. it's like this, how to help people know or understand something, right? Mm -hmm. Not a list of rules that have been put in place by an authority. (laughs) (laughs) So just making sure that like, look, we're talking about people who like, this was their covenant for life together. We're not talking, mm-hmm. Jesus is not talking to some sort of platonic, ideal, generic, vanilla human. He's talking to people whose historic moment was caught up with this book, this trajectory, this way of enunciating what it means to be following the divine, which frees us to actually listen with a little bit more, more relaxed muscles, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to kind of the binary of the black and white thinking for, for mm-hmm. our conversation earlier. Like we've been so formed by that 
basic understanding of that's how you view the world, which really started with the Roman culture that the Bible being translated into Latin and being filtered through the Roman empire a couple mm-hmm. centuries after Jesus mm-hmm. um, was very much about law and order. Um, and I've even heard people talk presently about United States 21st century. There's two types of basic two types of Christians in the United States. There's law and order Christians and peace and justice Christians. Mm. I don't, I don't think law and order Christians is a thing. That's a, that's the Roman that's siding with Caesar and the empire. That's the message of Jesus like is peace people. and justice. Um, well, those people on that side would say that, wouldn't they? I mean, yes, <laughs> you can tell where I land. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's whenever you see the word, the Greek word is namos. Whenever you see that word in the Greek, it's talking about the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, what's known sometimes as the Pentateuch or the books of Moses or Torah is the Hebrew word that for instruction mm-hmm. that is also used to designate those five books. Um, and that's it, what namas means. And I'll, I, I'll say, I think the way I read some parts of the scripture, including I think mostly in Paul, there's a way of saying not just Torah, but the kind of energy and momentum uh, that the mantle of cultural meaning and momentum beyond the Torah at times. The Torah has a certain cultural role, not just like the words that are on the scroll, important though that is, but the um, there's a energy beyond itself, beyond the scroll, in the way, the role that it plays in the life of a people. And this is a deeply human experience. Like, you don't have to be a first century Jew to, to have an understanding of what this is. Whatever your, um, if you are part of a local church, you have some sense of publicly stated teachings about what we are about. If you're part of a, it can be a workplace, it can be a country, it can be a whatever. Like there, there are these, um, these official charters for how to like be a bounded set of people that has a secondary ring of energy that's actually often what we're even talking about. We're not even actually talking about what Moses said. We're talking about what um, how the energy that that thing lived, that those teachings of Moses lives within us. I have something like Jeremiah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, Jesus I do seems think, to like Jeremiah. So. He does, and so does Matthew. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and this uh, that that's a bit of a tangent here because I do think Jesus is generally formally meaning, like, look, the heart of Torah is like this, and mm-hmm. these guys who claim to be Torah experts, I don't know where they're coming from, man, but it they're the no law people, like they're the no Torah people. Mm-hmm. It's really a abrasive (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's what he's talking about in chapter five with like don't think that i'm here to get rid of the torah 
and the prophets. Yeah. Like I'm here to like make it really clear what it was actually saying the whole time. Yeah. You're going to hear that I'm some things I'm saying are going to seem like they're undercutting the Torah, but they're actually just undercutting the stories we tell about Torah. Mm -hmm. They're undercutting yep. the and people who claim to sit on the throne of Torah. Right. Yep. They're not contradicting Torah. They're contradicting the contradicting the teachers that we listen to who talk about Torah. No wonder they immediately decided they needed to freaking kill this guy. Like, yeah, that's he's I'm surprised it took until chapter 27 for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, it did. So yeah. we uh, are about out of time this week. Uh, we're going to dive into a new stretch of Matthew's gospel going forward. M many more stories of what Jesus was doing and more stories that Jesus tells. So this is going to be a, a, a pretty clear shift in the kinds of things we're going to explore. Uh, and I am super excited for that. So we are both thankful as always for your participation in this project the easiest way to support found in translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice if you're on itunes please tell other uh apple podcast users about this show tell us what it means to tell them what it means to you why because that makes it easier for more people to find the show and join the community which is actually the second best way to support the show. Uh, when you join the community as a sponsor, you can do, uh, which is just five bucks a month, you get comment access on the translations Google Doc and the satisfaction of knowing that you are supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find the link to join the community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook Land. Say goodbye, Rainin. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>